Nuclear. Now is it crick or creek? Coyote or coyote? Sometimes I say library. Welcome to You're Saying It Wrong. I'm Fletcher Powell, and each episode we turn to the people who literally wrote the book on this, sister and brother team Kathy and Ross Petrus, and we'll dive into what we get wrong and sometimes what we get right when we try to speak this weird English language. Well, hi, Kathy. Hi, Ross. I hear, uh, amazingly, you're both snowed in right now. From Seattle to Toronto. <laughs> who, who would have thunk, as they say? I'd say we're more iced in, but we're used to snow, but too much ice is a bad thing for us. Yeah, that's no good. Well, and living Seattle. on top of a hill, yeah, we're on top of Queen Anne Hill, which is steep. And let's put it this way, the buses aren't even coming up here. Forget about mail. Mail? What's that? Newspapers? No. Yeah, you guys aren't really set up for snow. No, so we're eating a lot of cheese and pate and drinking wine. <laughs> <laughs> I, it sounds like you are pretty set up for snow. <laughs> Well, uh, today, um, you guys sent me a quote from The Guardian, I believe, and uh, I'm going to insert a few words that aren't actually in the quote, uh, just for clarity. I just want to say that um, for full disclosure. The quote is, the white flag was metaphorically waved by Donald Trump in a chilly yet sunny rose garden on Friday when he declared an end to the partial government shutdown after 35 tortuous days. Now, my assumption is we're talking about the word tortuous here, uh, and that's a word that sounds a lot like another word, torturous, and they mean fairly different things, although I would argue that you, depending on what you mean, you could potentially use either one in this sentence. Tortuous, uh, if I'm correct, is sort of uh, full of twists and turns, um, and torturous is more like a really dreadful slog. Uh, I would argue also that in this case, probably torturous is the more accurate term because there weren't really a lot of twists and turns in that government shutdown. It was sort of like we just shut down and nobody did anything. And then we reopened the government uh, for a few weeks. And so that really was more like a dreadful slog than anything full of twists and turns. But I'd love to hear what you two have to say about this. Well, first of all, Fletcher, I want to congratulate you for getting it correct. A lot of people make a real error between those two words. And you're also correct that even given that, those two words have a common background and they can be easily kind of twisted torturously into each other. Now, the thing that gets confusing, though, is now the common background, Ross, I wanted to ask you about because now torturous comes from the Latin twisting, right? Tor right? Yeah, torturous. They, well, yeah, but they both come from the... Uh, from the uh, participial stem of a, of a word torquere, torquere, I'm sorry, T-O-R-Q-U-E-R-E, -E, which is a verb meaning to twist. To twist. Okay, so, so one of them went one way and one went the other from that root, you're saying. Yeah, but both come from the idea of twisting. One way, twisting the body, which is torture. The other way, <laughs> twisting, you know, your way through a... Uh, you know, a field or something. Oh, that's really interesting. I had no idea they came from, from the same root and, and um, then just sort of diverged into different meanings. Oh, completely. I mean, the, the Romans were really big on torture and twisting, twisting people. <laughs> and, and limbs. <laughs> yeah. So. It's, a, it's actually a rather unpleasant word to begin with, the podcast. But. So it's all from torque, in effect. Like when you have torque, like a, I, I'm thinking of the screwdriver as a torquing screwdriver, but... That's yeah. fascinating. This, though, is just, in a broader sense, these are all um, words that are colloquially called confusables. They're words that either sound 
they sound similar. They're not, they're not like homonyms, they're near homonyms. Um, in some cases they're called paronyms, but they're all, and there's so many of them, and they're especially hard for uh, people learning English as a second language, because you've got these words that seem so commonly related, and they're not often, or, if they, or they're certainly meaning different things, even if they came originally from the same root. But they're also ones we had one of our favorites in terms of misuse. They sound sort of similar, but not too similar, but they're very commonly confused or flaunt versus flout. Have, I'm sure you guys have seen misuses of uh, flaunt and flout all over the place. That's extraordinarily common. Kathy found a great um, quote, which I really just love, which was... Um, Let's define them first, just to make sure we get the exact opposite. You know what I mean? Yeah, tell, tell us what they mean. Okay, flaunt means to ostentatiously show off. You're flaunting your diamond ring when you're engaged. Flout is willfully ignoring rules or laws. Okay, so now Ross. Well, they're completely different, as you can see. It's not like tortuous or tortuous. They're completely different. But we have women, for example, flouting their breasts when it should be flaunting their breasts. <laughs> that was a quote that was in the Daily Stars. It's, Jane, who regularly flouts her 4,500-pound surgically enchanted chest, wants to take time out. That sounds so unpleasant. <laughs> I, I was trying to imagine it. Apparently it's some reality star that I've never heard of, thank heavens. But the more commonly uh, sort of switch is using flaunt when you should be flout. For example, we have, I think I found just today, 14,300 results of Trump flaunting the law. And these people are anti-Trump and they should, they're trying to say he's flouting, he's treating the law with disdain. Just to be bipartisan, I also found 14,100 results of Clinton flaunting the law. In both <laughs> cases, they're not, they're flouting the law, or at least that's what people are saying they're trying to do. One of, one of my favorite examples was a full front, you know, full frontal with Samantha B, a correspondent on there, Amy Hogart, uh, was had some lexicographers on and she said in the, her piece that she was sorry that Trump has quote flaunted the rules of the English language so needless to say the two lexicographers on the show immediately said flouted flouted he didn't flaunt <laughs> them so she got schooled pretty quickly can I throw up something can I throw in something right here on flout no one really knows where it came from I mean, why do we say flout? How did that work? I have come? something I want to say on this. I'm going to jump in in a minute. Okay, one theory is it comes from playing the flute, and people would um, would hiss, which sounds sort of like a flute, when uh, someone was when they were trying to deride someone. And then from there, I found something really interesting. There is something. Some people are saying this is probably not true. It's ridiculous. It doesn't come from flute, but there's a medieval torture instrument called the shame flute i was going to talk about that too and the flute of shame is like a metal instrument that was strapped around a bad flutist's uh, head and his fingers were stuck in the metal so he and he was basically paraded around town showing he was a bad flutist and some thought is that from the flute of shame comes flout. Well, actually, it's not only flutists; it was also other bad musicians and disturbers of the peace. So it was. That's although they did have a shame violin, I read somewhere. So maybe it was more restricted to bad musicians. I don't know, but that could be one reason for uh, why flout became something derisive. Boy, people used to take interesting things very seriously. It was a torturous time. <laughs> 
I'm sure there are so many examples of this sort of thing. One that just pops into my head is flounder versus founder. That's a biggie too, right. Because again, they sound so similar. I think that in fairness, I think a lot of times it's just sloppiness. You just, you're just talking and you don't really think. But I mean, obviously flounder is to like, you know, move aimlessly to struggle to maintain your position. You're flapping in the water. Whereas founder is to fill with water and sink or to fail utterly. So in that one, you can sort of be floundering in the water and then founder, presumably, right? So, I mean, it gets mm -hmm. a little confusing. You can. I talk about pop etymologies, though. Someone was asked, like, where did flounder come from? And this one really fascinated me. Someone said it comes from uh, fish, the flounders flopping on the deck. And from there, you got the idea of not of like sort of shifting around aimlessly. I think that's ridiculous. I don't think that has any background, but I thought it was an interesting background anyway. Yeah, that one seems too easy. But we found a lot. And the Flounder Founder, uh, we found a lot of, uh, of crossovers on that one. I think it's to the extent now where it doesn't really, except if you're talking about a ship, um, it doesn't really have too much uh, valid distinction anymore. What do you think, Kath, on that? I think you're right. I was just going to say, how many people? I don't really hear anyone using founder often now, except for except for a ship, um, you know. Well, founder of a company, obviously, but I'm saying in this sense, I, I don't really think I've run across that. I'm just going to see. I'm just going to do a quick check now, out of curiosity, because I I don't remember seeing it like just in the general, like in news, someone saying they were foundering. Do you? I, found, I remember looking online at one point, and I found like Yankees continue continue to flounder, which is correct. But then I found the foundering lineup and a foundering would be sinking lineup, but it also could be like moving around aimlessly lineup. So in a sense, it's like torturous and tortuous, uh, I'm overpronouncing. You could probably say there's such an overlap now that the distinctions are being lost. As we've talked about before. Okay, I'm finding a lot of foundering, usually in political things. Journalism is foundering. Brexit plans are foundering. Europe is but foundering. But they're also floundering. Gosh, everything's falling apart around. Basketball's foundering. <laughs> so foundering is still used. Well, here I have <laughs> the Clinton campaign is foundering and she's flaunting the law. <laughs> so, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so often we uh, we recognize that that things are shifting and and sometimes what used used to not be okay is actually okay. Uh, it seems more to me like, in general, we still need to be conscious of the difference in meaning between these words, um, some more than others, certainly flaunt and flout. The, obviously, th those are very, very different meanings. Maybe less so with flounder and founder. Those seem to have uh, blurred become, some. yeah, certainly blurred. Um, so, I, I mean, do we just need to take this on a case by case basis, or do we, or should we, should we just continue to be uh, as conscious as possible of of what these words actually mean? Because they aren't, they haven't really shifted uh, so much as people are just kind of misusing them. I agree with you. We had one set of uh, words, affect and effect, that we think oh, no. should yeah. be very strongly uh, separated. And those are constantly Absolutely. misused. And I think yeah. the same thing with, as you said before, uh, flaunt and flout. I think it opens you up to uh, being embarrassed if you misuse the word, as Kathy said with the uh, TV show. So I do think that we need to be fairly conscious of, I think when words have melded so much together, such as founder and flounder, I wouldn't worry about it. But when words are still fairly strongly uh, 
seen as correct, correct usage, incorrect usage, I would worry about it. Right. And the whole point, as we often say, uh, the whole point of language is communication. And if somebody sees uh, flaunt and you've said flout or the other way around, um, then, I mean, they're so different that somebody who actually knows what they mean, which is which is plenty of people, um, are are going to misunderstand what you're saying. Correct. I'm, I'm actually beginning to think we should bring back the shame flute for those people who are incorrectly <laughs> using them. <laughs> there are instances where the, the blurring has happened to such a degree, I mean, as we've discussed with other completely different types of words and terms. But in other cases, when there is a clear difference, affect, effect, flounder, uh, excuse me, flout, flaunt, I, I do think that you've got to be careful. And I do think that, that you lose um, the, the precision of English that is so beautiful. And you say things that are completely wrong. Okay, I'm going to be more of a prescriptivist this time, and I'm going to, say, which is unusual for me. And I'm going to say, going back to my thing about the precision of the English language, and this is why I always love poetry. I think that you really should use. I don't think you should let tortuous and tortuous slide, or founder and flounder. Frankly, I think you should know the difference and you you know do it correctly because they do mean something different and and that's the beauty of english is that you you can find as in with a, as with a poem the exact word and why use one that's kind of there but not exactly and just sort of blurry so i would say flounder when you must and founder when you must as well or i would say sink and wander about aimlessly <laughs> instead <laughs> I think you might have gotten it right there, Ross. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Just throwing this in. Effect is usually a noun. Not always, but usually. Affect is typically used as a verb. He was affected by the effects of the weather in that sense. And that's always a good way to really know it. And I, we, Kath, I both see constantly uh, misusages of that. I think what it really comes down to is people are just more used to the word effect. And they just assume that it's it's the word, you know, there's one word rather than two different words. I don't know, though, because I see a lot of affect with the A. Like, I mean, like roller coaster weather has had an affect on wildlife. Um, it's really? You that see it you... that way? Yeah, it's, it's weird. I've almost never seen it the other direction. I usually see people saying effect when they mean affect. Oh, that's interesting. No, I've seen both. What about you, Ross? I'm looking up had an affect now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm actually, as you were talking, I was quickly looking it up, and I'm just seeing hooks on affect. De Detroit techno dystopian digital culture. Kathy is correct. I mean, there's there is a correct noun usage of affect, as in the sense of uh, he has a bad affect in terms of right, um, of course. Yeah, well, UPI, just a couple days ago, the President Trump's announcement Thursday that China will buy more soy had an affect. Yeah. Wow. I, I, UPI. I'm, I'm surprised. This is not something that, that I really remember ever seeing. I'm surprised by that. Yeah, no, it's it's very strange. Yeah, I'm seeing it all over. And the funny thing is, is they don't even come from the same root. Does parental divorce have an affect on a child's life? Yeah, no, you're right. Wait, so really, do my comments really have an affect on the way utility rates are set? While you're saying this, it's actually making a little more sense to me why that would happen, though. Because you, you would say something like, smoking affects your health. Mm -hmm. So some someone might think that, that taking that word affect and saying, does smoking have an affect on my health, uh, misunderstanding why we use each word so mm -hmm. it's it's making it's making more and more sense to me why that would happen i'm just surprised i haven't seen it as much as as much as it's apparently used mm -hmm. i think you're right though i think that's a reasonable um 
reason for it occur reasonable reason okay sort of sort of tautological but um, <laughs> language <laughs> that's gonna always drive you crazy <laughs> We have another listener question this time around. This one from David in West Palm Beach. He's a an avid WLRN listener. He says this this is a little bit different from from what we're normally talking about, but but it's still an interesting question. He says the word refrigerator when shortened to fridge, we add the letter D in there, so F R I D G E when that D of course is not in re- refrigerator. However, we pronounce it the same. He wants to know if it's unusual to add a letter, especially in the middle of a word, to to shorten a word. And, and can you think of any other instances of this? And on top of that, why why put the D in if it's pronounced exactly the same? Well, I'm going to start with why first the easy one. Why is there a D in there? And the basic reason there is because in English, we if we had if we shorten it with F R I G how English works, that G would probably be hard um, without, and therefore we put the D into like sort of match other words like ridge, um, et cetera, which therefore it, it matches the previous word, other words that sound like it. The D is normally F-R-I-D-G-E would be like R-I-D-G-E. The D usually comes in to make the G soft and not hard. Although interestingly, it first was F-R-I-G when it first appeared, according to Oxford English Dictionary. That was, um, it wasn't with the D. Initially, it was it was spelled, fridge was spelled like frig, which is what you automatically think it would be pronounced that way. But no, it was fridge. And that's exactly why they put the D in eventually, because it does sound Probably. like frig, <laughs> yeah, which is not a very good word. It's compelling to me uh, when you mentioned the word ridge, uh, that that makes sense to me that we would then put the D in because we're used to the word ridge. Uh, the, uh, of course, F-R-I-G would be like frig, but what about F-R-I-G-E? I mean, you would you would maybe think that was frig, but why do we not say the word refrigerator? Oh, well, that's probably because the original word uh, comes from the Latin and it would be a short I. So we learned that it came from the Latin into English, so we learned it as a ig sound, so it kept that short sound. And then you're right, if we put the e at the end, it makes how English works, that e preceded by only one consonant makes the previous vowel long. So it should be F-R-I-G-E should correctly be pronounced frige, or normally pronounced frige, which obviously doesn't really work. Put another consonant in, and then it becomes i. So then it becomes short again, so it becomes fridge. So as much as we often break all the rules of English, this is actually a case of, of following them uh, in, in an, I guess, a necessary way. Precisely. Although you're right, we do break, the, we also break the rules too. I mean, we could have like vestige, for example, uh, V-E-S-T-I-G-E. By the rules that we're talking about, it should be vestige, which it is not. You're right. That's so funny. I was just suddenly. Uh, you're right. That's fascinating. I didn't think of that. Uh, what other IGEs are there that are now? I'm now. Now I'm getting really confused. Which IG um, IGEs are there that are edge? Well, those are from the French. Vestige comes from the French, so I guess that would be a French pronunciation. So that's where it violates the other IGE pronunciation rule that comes from the 
Anglo-Saxon. Okay, so that's really interesting. The the words coming from different places um, make it more or less likely for us to violate what we consider English rules. Precisely. So, and English, unfortunately, we've talked about this for better or for worse. It's such a melange of different languages. We have all sorts of different rules, which we break frequently. <laughs> so, but normally it should be with the uh, the D normally makes it correct, makes it a short I. So it's it. And, and I must say, I mean, I'm, I'm just looking at it. I'm looking at the two words. I just typed them in for myself. And I, F-R-I-G or F-R-I-G-E just looks wrong. It's one of those things, again, with the spelling. The spelling seems much more logical, with, as we said, with the ridge sort of thing. Because you get it. You get it immediately. There's no debate about it. Like, you know what I mean? F-R-I-D-G-E cannot be pronounced any other way than fridge. Whereas F-R-I-G or F-R-I-G-E throw you a little bit. You stumble. Yeah, I mean, one minor point I was going to throw into the DG part is that, like, words like judge or bridge, lodge, and all those, the DG used used to be in English, GG, like Jujin, Bridgen, etc. And then over the years, the first G became a D, which is probably influenced here by the French, because the French spelt, when the French conquered England, um, they put their spelling into things as an old French change, and therefore... I mean, it gets really confusing after a while. Wait a second. I'm confused. Because now, okay, let's go back. Like, refrigerator. Refrigerator comes from the French refrigerator. I can't even do it. Which is a G. No D. I'm confused. So I don't get the D. I'm saying the D came in. D becomes a rule in the language. And that comes from, like, things like judge or bridge. Just take bridge. Bridge used to be spelled B-R-I-G-G-E-N. Then when the French took over, the French don't have the double G. So apparently the uh, switch to DG may have been influenced by Old French. So bridge became B-R-I-G-G-E-N became B-R-I-D-G. And then that rule was taken and put into refrigerator later, is what I'm saying. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'll accept that. (laughs) I'm still confused, but okay. (laughs) The thing that gets me with fridge again, though, going back to specifically fridge, is that initially... um, Fridge was British with the D, and Americans mainly did it the frig way, if you will. And then, and then now it's it's just more common with the D for everybody. I mean, I don't think you really see frig. I mean, in this sense, <laughs> but pronounced fridge. Do you know when that changed? Um, the first time we found fridge spelled with a D was in 1935. Was when you first saw fridge with a D. But we also have France. it with a G. In 1939, I mean, it was fairly commonly both ways then. Yeah, well, but Graham Greene, the other example I saw in the OED, 1955, Graham Greene had it. We don't have a fridge, F-R-I-G. I mean, so it was it was pretty common having them both for a long time. But when, I'm not quite sure when the, the D version became the most common, but it certainly is now. I, don't, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I've never seen fridge, even though it's in dictionaries still. I, I've not seen it personally uh, without the D. I wonder if there's some very dominant refrigerator manufacturer who started using F-R-I-D-G-E and and it caught on because of that. There's some talk that Frigidaire, the refrigerator manufacturer, may have influenced that, but that goes back uh-huh. and forth. No, they influenced it the other way, Ross. I'm sorry, I'm going to correct you on that because Frigidaire is spelled frigid, like frigid. And they were the ones people thought that perhaps, that's what the OED says at least, that the F-R-I-G may have come from Frigidaire, not the D one. That's so funny because I noticed that in the OED and I kind of, I mean, this is 
completely hypothetical. To me, though, Frigidaire has a D in it. So I think I unconsciously sort of switched them around. And I, for some reason, I think that that may have had an impact but because you see the D there. And then in, in your head, you know things like judge or ridge or whatever. And then you throw the D in. That's extremely unscientific. But it's just my own <laughs> feeling. So. I think you're wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not cool. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I have to go now. <laughs> This episode of You're Saying It Wrong has been produced by me, Fletcher Powell, help from Beth Golay and Luann Stevens in the studios of KMUW in Wichita, Kansas. If you have a question for Kathy and Ross, you can tweet it at us. We're at YSIWpod or email me at powell at KMUW.org. You can check out special artwork for this episode and every episode designed by Jordan Kirtley at our website, KMUW.org. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or even a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. The book, You're Saying It Wrong, was published by 10 Speed Press, and you can find that and Kathy and Ross Petrus's newest book, That Doesn't Mean What You Think It Means, at your local independent bookstore. Kathy and Ross have written a lot more. They're always up to something. You can check out their other work through their website, kandrpetrus.com. That's K-A-N-D-R-P-E-T-R-A-S.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks. Oh, and one more thing, super quick, because we're running pretty long today. Kathy mentioned these confusable words we were talking about can also sometimes be called paronyms. So I went to look that up just because I was curious to learn a little more, and, well, I spelled it wrong. It's properly spelled P-A-R-O-N-Y-M. I spelled it P-A-R-A-N-Y-M. But, as it turns out, there is also a thing called a paronym spelled P-A-R-A. This term refers to a word or phrase that's used as a euphemism, but in a literal sense means the exact opposite of what it's euphemizing. So like when people in the South say, bless your heart, when really they're cursing your very existence, or saying friendly fire when you mean someone got killed by their own side, eh, not so friendly really. Or when you start a sentence with respectfully and then go on to show that you really don't have any respect for what the other person just said or did. So that's a paronym, P-A-R-A-N-Y-M. Just wanted to let you know, so the next time you're talking about paronyms, which, let's be honest, happens fairly often, you'll be sure you're not the one getting confused.